Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hello, Eastern Kaleidoscope. I'm Mariah Rose. <laughs> hey, uh, how's it going? Um, I am hot. Oh, wow. You think highly of yourself. <laughs> but I agree. <laughs> Speaking of hot. We just got done watching Dante's Peak, like literally right before we hit record, and I'm jazzed up and so bummed out we're not talking about that movie. Oh, okay, yeah. If you haven't, we're actually not doing an episode, first of all, on Dante's Peak, but if you haven't seen Dante's Peak since 1997... Go watch it. It's amazing. Yeah, it it delivers. <laughs> the dog rescue alone is worth it. The grandmother's acting, <laughs> old acid legs herself. It's so good. Everything is top tier. Top okay. tier. Well, unfortunately, that's not an 80s movie. We are an 80s podcast. So if you're just joining us, welcome. Hello. Thanks for listening. If you're rejoining us, sorry, we're not talking about Dante's Peak. Well, I mean, we did. It's true. We just summed it up already. That's all we had to offer. There's an explosion. And old acid legs. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well. And done. Goodbye. This week, we are talking about a post-apocalyptic, a little bit of an interesting one out there. Mm. Don't hear a lot of people talk about this. No, you've been putting it in our movie stack forever for us to watch. And I'm always like, pass, pass. Yeah. Finally, I was like, let's just watch it so you'll stop already. Yeah, and we did. (laughs) (laughs) This week, we are talking about the 1986 uh, adventure, Solar Babies. They drained the ponds and the streams, covered the lakes and even the oceans, so no water could evaporate into the air. They cause the drought so they can control our lives. You can't beat them. Protectorate visionaries eventually plan a totally altered Earth and even an altered solar system. Why not genetically alter humans to function perfectly in a perfectly restructured world? Conditioned us here to be so afraid. There has got to be a place to go. From a distant star, a powerful force will come to Earth. They call this force Bodai. Where's the sphere? They took it to the Protectorate Aqua Bunker. It's where they control the water. Jason, they're gonna destroy it. If we go, we're not coming back. We're gonna get Bodai. It's unanimous. We go. Okay, Solar Babies. I definitely know the name, definitely know the cover. I've actually had the tape in my collection for a while. Yes. Been waiting to watch it for an episode. So every time you passed on it, I'm like, I could have watched it already. Well, I wanted to watch the first movie, uh, Lunar Mamas. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That one came out in the 70s, though, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay, okay, okay. Byproduct of the um, 
came right after the hippie movement. Mm, yep. When everybody was starting to do cocaine and disco fever was taking hold. But the but. disco era kind of poured over into this one with oh, yeah. roller skates. We'll get to it later. <laughs> Solar Babies, first time watch for both of us. Yep. Spoiler alert. I think some people would be surprised, especially for me, since this is kind of my area of focus. But I knew the name. I just never saw this one ever in a video store. No, no, I don't think I did either. And I've talked to a few friends that've seen it, and it's like they grew up on it, like it was the Goonies or something. Oh, it does seem like one that would come on like uh, TNT on a Sunday afternoon, and you'd just watch it because it was the 80s and you were bored. Yeah, and had I have grown up on this, I definitely would have a very different opinion about Mm -hmm. it. So I can see that. If you saw this when you were a kid and it came out, this would be a pretty cool movie. Yeah, maybe it's a treasure to you. Yeah, but uh, we didn't. We just saw it now. As grown-ass adults. (laughs) Totally grown-ass adults. Uh, Solar Babies, before we even jump into the film, has an interesting backstory. Really? Not a lot to go on, but... I do want to say a little bit about how it came to be. Hold on. Before you dive in, you came eagerly in. I was sitting in our bedroom reading a book and you came stomping in because you were excited about the backstory. I, I think said, you're exaggerating you right now. You stomped. You were banging trash can lids together. <laughs> okay, I did have a pot on my head. Uh-huh. And you were like, guess guess what? And I said, don't, don't tell me till we're on the podcast. And you said, I'm never going to tell you. Yeah. So should I plug my ears? No. Then when I walked away under my breath, I said, until we're recording. (laughs) And now we're recording. Okay, the production of this Mm -hmm. is pretty interesting. Script was written. It was written by Waylon Green, and it was pitched, and somehow it made its way to Mel Brooks. And he said, okay, yeah, we can do that. We'll we'll make this a film. (gasps) Wasn't quite sure, but thought maybe it had potential... Okay. And keep in mind, at this time, he's riding high. I mean, he's definitely doing very well for himself. So he was willing to take a risk on it, but he said, let's do it in Spain because they don't have kind of union things and it's a lot cheaper to film there. And he had a director in mind and they set it with a $5 million budget, which I will say after watching this movie would have been more than enough to pull this off. Mm-hmm. Somehow okay. along the way... People around him convinced him that it needed a lot more money because it had the potential to be huge. And so everybody should really be all in on this. And it jumped from $5 million to $25 million. In 80s money? That's a lot. That's a lot. And I think he got a little nervous with the director that he had chosen and said, well, uh, this person doesn't have experience with big budget films and we're really spending a lot of money now. So he brought in another person to direct who he had experience with already. They already knew each other. But interestingly, (laughs) keep in mind, he was swapping out the director for a more seasoned person. He brought in a guy named Alan Johnson, who was primarily known as a choreographer. Okay. Which we'll see his talents come into play a little later. Okay. <laughs> but he only had, to my knowledge, one feature under his belt. So it was really weird that Maybe this was... Maybe had a huge budget. I guess. But it was just kind of strange that this would be the person that they would go all in in. And I, I can see how this uh, proved to backfire a little bit. Oh. Because this was a very big production. The score, also where I think... <laughs> Maybe a lot of the money went 
was done by Maurice Jarre, who I had my suspicions right away that this score was a little too fancy and a little too polished for this quality of film. Um, well, it was different. It didn't match the film. Exactly. And it, why it didn't match is because it felt very old school Hollywood. It felt silly. It didn't feel silly. It felt like this is a really serious score to a really uh, goofy movie. It felt silly because it was juxtaposed with this content. Yeah. And so it is no surprise that the composer they got was, uh, I think, way too qualified for a film of this quality. A movie called Solar Babies? He was so... Maurice was a multi-Academy Award-winning composer who had done things like Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Tivago, Passage to India. Like, he was old-school, big-time composing. Oh, so he was just composing. old at this point, too. He was just very good at what he did, and I could tell right away when the film started it was distracting how, like, polished the score was and out of place it was for the what we were seeing in front of us, mm-hmm. <laughs> image-wise. Mm-hmm. But that's basically who was involved with getting this made. We'll talk about the downside of putting that much money into a film that maybe wasn't that well thought out. And, um, and we'll go along for a ride, but before we do, pull out your roller skates. Put them on. Tighten them laces. Pull up your tube socks. And let's go for a ride. Okay. Let's talk about solar babies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to paint a picture. Yeah. We're in the middle of a heat wave right now, so it should kind of set the stage. That's true. It does feel fitting. The year, though, 41. Oh, yeah. This one threw me. 41. I don't know. <laughs> Just 41. Yeah. I love it. Uh, we're in a wasteland. There's no water to be seen. And um, the orphaned children of this future world are being indoctrinated. So they're taken to like a super orphanage yeah. where they're indoct- indoctrinated and raised from infancy to adulthood so that they will work for the government who controls the water. And you get this all in just a few minutes. And you kind of go, okay. And then you're thrown into the world yes, uh, to navigate your way forward. Yes, yes. And it wastes no time because it's pretty goofy. Right away, we see, which is the preferred mode of choice for post-apocalyptic films, roller skates. Yeah. I, I have no problems with this at all. This is probably my favorite subgenre of post-apocalyptic is roller skating. I think yeah. it's the best way you can get around Obviously, especially if you're, like, going through a desert, you should probably put on some roller skates, which they have no problem navigating, by the way. No, they're like paths that are just carved out throughout the wasteland so that everybody can roller skate. Although we both said, like, they didn't really train these actors very well. No, yeah, they look like they got a boot camp that was shortened. Yes. They tried their hardest, though. Weird side note. So I have terrible insomnia, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I was just trying to find something boring to read. And stumbled upon, I didn't read it, but the headline was, David Schwimmer says, I spent seven years waiting on roller skates. And I think it meant that he was like a a waiter who roller skated. Oh. But it just happened to like be the theme of the night. (laughs) Okay, yeah. (laughs) But I had like this weird sort of like half David Schwimmer, half roller skating future dream. 
That's oh, all. nice. Okay. Well, wow, that's good times. These roller skates have <laughs> an addition to them that we haven't seen yet in previous films. Okay. Like little um, headlamps attached to the roller skates, so like they they have their own headlights on them. Yes. Oh, and <laughs> I we like have that. other headlamps which we will get to. I thought that was pretty cool. So you could like roller skate at night. Yeah, and so all these roller skating teens find themselves. It's like an arena. And you just kind of have to figure it out as you go. There's a little boy who's like a nine-year-old or an 11-year-old. I don't know. I'm a, I have kids and I still don't know. I don't know. He's like 11 to somewhere between 14 and 7. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you really yeah, narrowed that in. Played by Lucas Haas. Yeah. Like the avocado. He's famous, I guess. Yeah, I saw him not too long ago in a movie called Lady in White. I think is what it's called. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he was. It's like a ghost story. He was in Inception, and he was kind of like a 90s alt heartthrob kind of. Yeah, well, he was a child actor, and then he kind of m- managed to navigate Hollywood somehow. But Yeah, and now here he is. Here he is in, in his early days, really giving it his all. So he's observing. I think he's supposed to be a lookout. He's watching these two teams, The who we discover soon are the solar babies versus the scorpions and the scorpions are the bad guys obviously look at their name yeah and they're doing like a street hockey kind of game right i i was like what are even the rules here but basically it is a hockey but instead of a net they have like a tall it looks like a a segment of the game mousetrap oh yes but it's also like a, a merging of street hockey and uh what's that game the rich Rich kid sport with where you grab the ball with the little scoop and you throw it. Lacrosse. Yes, lacrosse. So it's like a mix between that. We went to our, our grad school was kind of a rich kid grad school. We're not rich kids, but we went there. <laughs> yeah, we were very out of place. Uh, what did <laughs> like we Christy... were like the sympathy students. Like who let them in? I think it was Chrissy Yamaguchi went to our school. Some... Uh, no, Michelle Kwan. Oh yeah, yeah. Some and Condoleezza skating. Rice. Oh yeah. At the same time, that's how old we are. Oh goodness. Ah, um, uh, just kidding. No, we. It was Michelle Kwan. No, we, we did. We yeah, I, yeah. I'd pass her like she'd walk by us. But you started collecting the lacrosse balls for some reason. Those kids would just throw them out everywhere, and they were pretty cool because I wanted to juggle them. <laughs> and then I realized that juggling lacrosse balls is much harder because they're heavy. <laughs> no, they're not. They are. They're more heavy than um. What's the? They're like four ounces. What's the indoor sport? Man, I suck at knowing sports. What's the indoor sport? Racquetball. Oh, yep. That's what I used to juggle with. And there has to be a, a in-between. If only it was like the you, size of a racquetball, but slightly heavier, but not as heavy as a lacrosse ball. You're playing fast and loose with the word juggle, but okay. I can juggle. <laughs> I'm juggling right now, actually. Anyway, Lucas Haas is watching the solar babies and the scorpions and up in some like weird scaffolding is a dude with an owl oh yeah i called him uh owlboy at first but his name is actually dar star not dark star yeah what was that all about dar star <laughs> they dropped some letters in the future yeah we recognized him too i was surprised though when i looked him up uh did you recognize him at, at first Absolutely not. I did. I was like, I know that face and I couldn't place it, but it's because he was much, much older. He was on that show Heroes as and, the older brother. Yeah. And that was like in the early 2000s. Yeah. 
So he is owl boy or owl guy is probably what we're going to call him. Yeah, he's got really dumb hair, by the way. He does that thing uh, when children are learning to do ponytails and they just grab a chunk of hair and not all of the hair at the back of the head, like just a handful in the center back and then terribly put a hair tie in it and it just sticks up. That's what he's got. It looked like a failed attempt to look like Val Kilmer in Willow. Oh, mm-hmm. Like, once he watched Willow, he was like, oh, that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah, I Although think I think so. Willow came out later. I don't know. Uh, who cares? I do. Oh. That's why okay. I brought it up. All right, whatever. I'm very passionate about the hair. The police come and bust this um, street hockey whatever oh, yeah. situation because they're outside of the perimeter. <laughs> Like, hardcore bust it with, like, laser guns bust it. Yes, and everybody scatters, but the little boy Daniel, played by Lucas Haas, he goes, like, scuttles off into a cave that has, like, a mining cart, and he bumps the mining cart, and it breaks through a thin wall. Even though the the tracks of the cart go straight into the wall. (laughs) I don't know why. I never thought about that. Yeah, that was weird. That's true. So he breaks through, and he also breaks what I thought were headphones, but they were not headphones. We learned that he was deaf, I guess. Yeah, I didn't catch that at first, too. And they have a term. What? Electric ears. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of Land of the Dead with uh, Sky Flowers. Yep, I'm not going to do the voice. (laughs) So we, at the beginning of the film, did get a shot of... Something from space crashing down into the earth. So yeah. that's what he's stumbling across right now. Yeah, he finds a pool of water, which has to be exciting in a time when water is controlled. That's but true. in that pool of water is a glowing orb, and he pulls it out, and then we hear him going, Aha! Woo! And I'm like, oh, is he going to go through puberty right now? He's screaming so high-pitched, <laughs> and it doesn't stop. It's really awkward. And this is, and he like shouts, I can hear, and then we go, oh, was he deaf? Okay. Yeah, that was really unclear. This was my first indication that this film maybe is a little lopsided, a it's, little inconsistent. It's got a few holes, like, first and foremost, if he's the lookout, maybe not your best move. <laughs> I'm just going to say, obviously, you need eyeballs. I would have made Hawkboy my lookout. Oh, Owlboy. Owlboy, whatever. Bird of Prey Boy. Darstar. Yeah. They all generally escape. Like, the team itself, Solar Babies, gets in trouble. Yeah. We need to talk about two of the main team members of Solar Babies. Oh, yeah. Because they are hot to trot in this movie. (laughs) This is, like, 80s fashion Oh, speaking of which, when I was looking up stills from Solar Babies, I don't know why this was included with all the (laughs) promo press shots, but there's probably what's become my favorite photo of the 1980s. This is one I think we need to recreate between you and me and put it on like our Christmas card. I seriously want to have a printout of this image framed on the wall. I feel like it makes me really happy. We can get assemble the costumes and recreate it. We need we like should. a uh, what was it like a lilac colored background? Yes. So let's, yeah, let's okay. Well, it. what we're getting at is a reunion of sorts later on in a previous episode, Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. You'll remember Michael, Michael, who was the main lead, played by Jason Patrick. Yep, Super Stud McGee with his earring and his shades, and uh, he doesn't have to put up with whatever. Yeah, and then. 
Star, who's the babe from Lost Boys, who, if you'll remember, if you listen to our episode, we talked about how he got her the role of Star. She wasn't originally cast, but he convinced Joel Schumacher to cast her. I was told, or when I read, it was because they had worked together in like a play, but this came out the year earlier. So, mm. lo and behold, Solar Babies was their film together, and they are here in all their 80s glory. Yes, and this, the woman is Jamie Gertz. Yes, and they still look fantastic. They're both very good looking people. Like today? Oh, I don't know about today, but in this film, for being the wasteland apocalypse they're very well groomed <laughs> and they yeah. look they look pretty good they got nice haircuts and everything yeah it's all eyebrows and jason patrick's chiseled jaw yeah i was just surprised i didn't know this about solar babies because i hadn't seen it mm-hmm. but uh, who knew it's crazy because you have solar babies and then they go together in lost boys but lost boys gives birth to the two Corys. And from that movie, we get that legacy. So it's like they were passing the torch off. Okay. But the picture... Oh, yeah, back back to to the the photo. Yeah. So they're facing each other really, really close, but they're seated and their legs are wrapped around each other. Do you remember when you were a child on the playground and did you ever sit with another person on one swing? We called it spider. Okay. Because there were... Uh, four limbs on each side. Yeah, so you would basically, like, one person would straddle in, f- <laughs> like, facing <laughs> another person with their legs going out to the other side. Uh-huh. Now, imagine that as a promo f- shot with two grown adults. <laughs> and that's the photo that you get. I think I need to see it again because it's transitioned in my mind and they're both wearing, like, Oshkosh bagosh. <laughs> it looks like it. I love this photo so much. So this may be the best part of Solar Babies is this promo shot. We'll put it on our page. Oh, we will 100%. I was almost going to put it as the, like, main image that we promote with, but I want to save it as its own special image. Okay. So Lucas Haas, who can now hear, he brings his orb back to what's like their dorm and he discovers that its name is Bodai. Now, (laughs) we have to take just a brief moment to say it's spelled like Bodhi. It is Bodhi. But in this movie, in year 41, it's Bodai. So his glowing orb is Bodai and the team Solar Babies are in their dorm room. He shows them and... There's a weird musical sequence after Bodai makes it rain indoors. Oh, that's pretty funny. I have no questions. A glowing orb is there. They can all somehow understand what this orb is communicating, though no words pass. And Darstar, who is proving to be a real creep at this point, is, is a creep. spying on them. Yeah, just silently, like, stroking his owl and staring at them Gross. with his dumb hair. Although he does at one point use magic to call birds. And I was like, that is oh, pretty cool. I want yeah. that. And then I remembered last summer when the parakeet landed on me and pooped on me. And I was <laughs> like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. Oh, and this is where they also find out that Lucas can't, uh, can hear now. He doesn't need his electric ears anymore. Mm-hmm. And Bodai, once he's let them in on their secret... Um, the, like, secret between Lucas and Bodai, they decide Bodai is going to fly, and he wants to skate, and he wants to play. He wants to party, and this is when mm-hmm. I am like, oh, this is directed by a professional choreographer. Because we get some sweet, sweet moves right here, <laughs> including Bodai being tossed around playfully 
and a booty bump. <laughs> you know, like on Witches of Eastwick, when she does the yeah. booty bump with the tennis ball? Yeah. It's like that, but with Bodai and an orb alien. <laughs> and he seems very happy. I mean, as, as emotional as a glowing orb can be. <laughs> I got a lot of emotion. But this all concludes with an energy circle where they all hold hands. <laughs> and Darstar watches, and he looks jealous about it, but he later steals Bodai. <laughs> he is, like, brooding. He's like Angel from that yeah. show Buffy, like, just sitting there, like, glaring at them. It's like, yeah. I want to be in your energy circle. <laughs> Let me booty bump Bodai. <laughs> I think I'd be good at it. Okay, so Owlboy steals Bodai. Yep. And uh, Daniel gives chase. And then the solar babies go in search of Daniel. But here's the thing. They've all escaped beyond their compound. So now the like police or government, it's never clearly established. But they're going to come after they're missing orphans into the wasteland. So they like spare no expense to chase these roller skating uh, escapees. The uh, vehicles are really cool in this. We'll get to this in a second, but I have to stop and say, when they decide to break out and Mm -hmm. and make a run for it, they're all on roller skates, skating through a desert wasteland. Mm -hmm. It's hard packed. No problems whatsoever. I don't. As people who currently live in the desert, (laughs) I can tell you, I would make it about two and a half feet before my skates would become stuck. Yeah. Well, you just kind of. (laughs) maybe walk in them but they're doing like sweet moves and everything well we have a full like freedom skating musical montage happen at this point yeah this film's pretty awesome actually which (laughs) you're like now that i'm thinking about (laughs) now that i'm reflecting on it and after this like after their special freedom montage uh the police are whatever i don't know we'll call them the police they're on their tail and there's a huge jumping sequence because they come to a broken bridge and they do like the whip do you remember mm-hmm. from your like roller skating days? Oh, that's all I did. Yeah, I know that's strange. Okay, yeah. but they do the whip and one by one all whip themselves across the bridge, and finally Jason Patrick has to just leap it on his own, which he does easily with a prowess of a Greek god. He looks like one. Did you roller skate a lot when you were a kid? No, I was that kid. I know you were. I was the the short one. That annoyed everybody because I could do the limbo really well and win. And I would like whip around skating backwards and stuff. I loved going going to the roller rink as a little kid. We would go and you would do the lining up to do dances and you would party and you'd have all the music blasting and you'd get french fries and you'd be like scooting around and it was the 80s and you were roller skating. (laughs) I really loved it. Those were precious times. So... Maybe that's why I like roller skating in post-apocalyptic films. Well, I did thrift in the 90s, and I got a cool pair of roller skates. Oh, the yellow and blue ones? They were blue and white. They had, like, stripes, like Adidas-style stripes. Yeah, we also had a pair of yellow and blue ones. Those weren't mine. Okay, those were mine. The blue and white ones, but I would wear them with, like, evening gowns, and I would (laughs) go into public places until I got kicked out. Ah, the 90s. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, after the freedom skating, the bridge jumping whip, let's go back to uh, Darstar, Owlboy. He actually has gone with a purpose. He's trying to find his people, because remember, all these people are orphans, so that he's trying to reunite with his people. They're called the Chikani. 
So he finds his Chicani people and brings uh, Bodai to them and thinks that, you know, it's great. They welcome him as one of their own, but the police find them and they raid the Chicani's place. And at this time, before the most terrible thing happens, I want to give you today's fun fact. Okay. I want you to know that okay. we're about to lose one of our most important characters, but <laughs> Aww. I want you to know that owls have good eyesight. Oh, your fun fact is about owls this week. Yes. Okay. Owls cannot move their eyes <laughs> up or down. Okay. Did you hear me? Yeah, they cannot move their eyes up or down. Could be in uh, 122 episodes, the greatest fun fact you've ever delivered. There's more. They oh, can't move their eyes side to side either. They're just fixed in their head. But their eyes are the size of their entire eye socket. Yes. So, owls have evolved the ability to rotate their heads 270 degrees to compensate for the fact that they can't move their eyeballs. Boom. Okay. Hold on. Let me process this. Now that I have. (laughs) Hypothetical. Okay. Would you rather be able to look sideways up and down or have fixed eyes and be able to turn your head 270 degrees? Uh, Move your eyes. Because think about sometimes when your neck gets hurt. Okay. And like you can just move your eyes to the side. Yeah. It's true. It's not really good for podcasting, but I'm looking side to side. No, I'm getting that. Or imagine if you were like two owls were trying to rob a bank and they didn't want to give any signals. They just wanted to give each other the look like, go now. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to like flick their eyes left and right real quick. Like that way. Yeah, they have to turn their entire heads and it would alert everybody in the bank that they were trying to rob them. Because everybody would turn their head to look too. <laughs> like, dude, those owls are trying to rob us. So, oh my yeah, gosh. I agree. I'd rather be able to still look. Hey, in elementary school, that reminds me of a story. Um, I was with my friend Brienne's. Her uncle had like a car sh- repair shop and it had big windows. And we would sit in the windows and pretend to have an invisible, like, watch an invisible tennis match. So we'd look, you know, upper right corner, down on the floor, upper left corner over and over when people walked by and we would get people to follow and like look for what we were looking for. (laughs) On a sadder note about owls, one time I was taking a tour of a new facility that was like a military facility and it had a giant window out front and... No! (laughs) No, I have to tell the story. It's too weird. It's so sad. Somebody noticed and we all looked up in this giant glass window that clearly had no indication that there was a window there for birds, there was a perfect outline of a full owl that had mid-flight smashed straight into the glass and was like permanently fused the the outline of it into this glass. Was there a dead owl on the ground? Oh, no, I think it happened a while before, no, but it the was outline fine. was still there. It was fine. It just flew away after that. It shook its head because it could shake it. 270 degrees. And then yeah, it flew off. shook it off, and it was like to tire town. 
Okay, so, um, sorry to tell you this, but Owl Guy's Owl is killed by the leader of the skating crew, the Scorpions. Like, really violently, too. Yeah, it was He shoots it with a laser gun (laughs) and then picks it up and just flings it. It's really uncalled for. Yeah, it's not good. Luckily, the crew finds it and gives it a proper burial. Yeah, they find the burned-out Chikani town and... Again, Darstar is watching. He, like, left his dead owl there and just watches as they give his owl a funeral. Yeah, it's really cool because they're like, we need to give it a proper burial. And then they just pile a bunch of rocks on top of it. (laughs) That's not a burial. That's the opposite of a burial. That's kind of a desert burial. That's true. Somebody buried a Gila monster out in the desert here and they just put a rock on top of it and said, here lies the best Gila monster ever. Really? Yeah. Could you see its legs shooting out from both sides? No, but I could tell the ground wasn't disturbed. Oh. Okay. Now, the Chikani leader is giving us an example of their torture, of future torture. So he's laying on a weird bed, and he's got ants crawling all over his face. But guess what? It's not real. It's just an illusion. So just put that in your back pocket and know that that can happen. It doesn't actually go anywhere. It serves zero, <laughs> zero purpose. <laughs> Seriously, there are so many parts of this film that they introduce things that go nowhere. Yeah, like the eco-warriors. We have this whole buildup that there are these like eco-warriors who are going to face off. And there's like cave drawings and tales. Okay. Also, this weird machine that they've created that can hold, like, a star inside of it or something. They just happen to have one Mm -hmm. floating around. And there happens to be a magical orb that they need to capture in this. Yeah. It is so bizarre, the things that are introduced. This script is really uh, just very lopsided. Yes. Because it's, like, goofy humor, like, family fun. And then extreme violence or sadness. And it just doesn't... I couldn't get the tone of this film from beginning to end. This is one of my criticisms of it is I didn't know what kind of film it was. Because at times it was so silly and like over the top where the music was goofy. And they're playing and having fun. And then other times there's a guy like shooting an owl with a laser beam and then just throwing its corpse around. It was really weird. Yeah, let's just cut briefly to a random shot of Doberman's wearing headlamps. Oh, that was cool, though. That's all there is to that. No, No story there. Let's go back to the Solar Babies. They continue their quest, and they head to Tire Town. Tire Town's my favorite part of this film because the... The production of this, like the set is awesome. Yeah. Like really awesome. You can tell they spent a lot of money on it. Mostly on Jamie Gertz's bangs. Oh boy. I felt like they had their own budget. (laughs) I don't know what's happening there. And I am comfortable with an 80s bang. Like she had a bang handler on set that was only in charge of her bangs. Each bang hair went in its own direction. Tire Town, though, as far as post-apocalyptic set designs go, this was top-notch. Mm-hmm. I felt like, had they have shot another movie with this set, it yeah. could have been amazing. Very Mad Max. It's really well done. And it just the the 
vehicles are awesome. The walls, the the whole city itself is really cool. I was impressed by this part of it a, a lot. I, I mean, mm-hmm. this was, if you're going to go in, go all in. And they definitely did on this scene. Absolutely. And it's, a, I mean, it's, it's definitely cool. But in this scene, uh, Terra, Bodai, and Darstar are kind of left behind while the rest of the solar babies make their escape in giant tires by not just running down a hill, but instead they insert their bodies into tires and roll in a tire down a hill. Yeah, and by the time you get to the bottom, you realize they could have just walked run, down the hill. Run down the hill <laughs> yeah, and not it was felt really like barfing. For. <laughs> but they did it, and it was cool style, I guess. <laughs> but then they're captured by bounty hunters, probably because they took so long to roll down the hill. <laughs> But weirdly, Tara rescues them and reveals that somehow in between this, like, minute that they've been separated, she reunited with the father who left her orphaned, and he's the leader of the eco-warriors, and they're just kind of living off of a melting glacier. But that's the end of the purpose of that. We were introduced to her dad via cave painting, Uh (laughs) and her dad looks like Alien Warrior Mm -hmm. Buddy. With the beard, like the manicured beard and everything. And this was so jarring. This was probably the most jarring part of the whole film. It was totally pointless. It looked like it it seemed as though it was later that day. And we find out that she's been living with them now for a long time. Yeah. That is really, really not clear at all. No. I mean, it took us a while to figure out what was going on. I'm still actually not confident that i understand what happened there well they all walk around in really comfortable linen and have plenty of water Uh uh-huh and uh yeah the film takes a little bit of a twist where we find out there's this whole other society that's just been living uh the good life (laughs) yeah with their glacier water and he's leader of the eco warriors but he's not gonna do anything i guess so Tara decides to leave with the solar babies to try and get Bodai back. But the, meanwhile, <laughs> the bad guys are trying to kill with a pleasure-seeking robot who likes to kill. Oh, yeah. It was programmed to take pleasure in torturing. Yeah. So which... it's trying to please itself by killing Bodai. <laughs> which also serves no purpose because it's immediate. Okay. First off, its only purpose was to like break into Bodai. It fails there. And then it's immediately overpowered and destroyed. So what was the point of introducing it with like a, a robot backstory? As though we were know. supposed to care about how it was programmed. But I do care. I do. I, I did enjoy that it was like pleasure seeking. I did too. But I was also annoyed. Like we know Bodai is first of all a ball. And second of all, he can like shoot through the air. Into particles. Why didn't he just boop? Scoot yeah, that didn't there. make any sense. But I do like that the evil woman we find out who's overseeing the whole drill into Bodai. Why is she even a character? She's I don't know, but she's from Superman. I recognize her yeah. right away. And she basically walked right off the set of Superman and still has the same costume on. Those shoulder pads. <laughs> they don't their, quit. Yeah. Need their <laughs> own zip code. I feel like she looked over at Jamie's bangs and was like, oh, you're doing that with your bangs? Then I'm doing this with my shoulder pads. I see your bangs and I raise you two shoulder pads. I'm not going to let this young thing take my spotlight. <laughs> um, oh, we should mention that the bad guys are in the aqua bunker. 
whatever. That's where they keep the water. Uh-huh. And one of the solar babies is able to gain access by roller skating and pole vaulting in, and then he lets the rest of the solar babies in. Yeah, we haven't talked about the whole, like, evil villain of the entire film, who oh, is yeah. just bad guy who's after them nonstop, and he's dressed like a Nazi, and has this really weird outfit on but he's overpowered pretty easily at the end as well yeah he's like a non-entity yeah the pleasure robot attacks him that's pretty funny and they manage to like destroy this dam that the whole thing has been sitting on aqua bunker but what's his name jason patrick already knew this was going to happen because bodai gave him a vision earlier on of this happening Mm -hmm. And it comes true. The water comes pouring out. And Jamie gives a great one-liner where she says, Thundercloud! A real thundercloud! And then they're all just experiencing rain. Oh, you know what? It isn't a fun fact, but I did read. Mm -hmm. Ironically, it was shot in Spain because it was just complete wasteland. And one of the biggest problems with the production was that it kept raining nonstop. That's funny. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And it, it got to be so bad and they were so over budget and everything was going on that Mel Brooks like lost his mind and flew out personally and said, I will fire everybody if you can't get this production under control because clearly nobody knew what they were doing for that size of a budget. <laughs> and it was just like a train wreck of a production. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that in just a second. But I did think it was funny that it was raining the whole time in a location that was supposed to be a wasteland. Well, you know, we live in the desert. We have a rainy season. That's and true. it means business when it comes. Let's get back to Bodai. He expands beyond all understanding. And the solar babies can still do their electric handshake. Oh, they do a grand uh, electric, like, friend circle at the end. Yep. The end. Oh, wait. And they let Darstar in this time. Yeah, he's now part of the friend circle. And then they take a little dip in an ocean that's appeared Uh out of nowhere. And that is the end of the film. And it is... (laughs) <laughs> like what <laughs> did what we even just happen yeah, here? What, we just watch <laughs> so no surprise that when mel brooks saw what was happening he panicked because not only had he raised all that money uh-huh. he had when the film started put out 1.5 i think million of his own money up front <gasps> and by the time the film was done had put in 15 million of his personal money he took out a second mortgage on his house and everything and when he saw what they had produced with his money he was like you guys don't have a clue what you're doing and panicked and tried to like cut together an extended trailer okay to pitch it of something that could make sense to try and get an investor and people were passing but eventually mgm picked it up and they bought it off of him for 15 million that's it so he was already losing tons and tons of money he later said that he lost nine million up front of his personal money on this Mm, and that the only thing is he managed to break even over the course of many years because it found an audience in home video and dvd and vhs and so he finally broke even but of a 25 million dollar budget when it came out worldwide 
it grossed 1.5 million. Oh. And the critics, I read the reviews and it's hilarious. Like they were not kind to this at all. Nor should they be. This makes zero sense. This makes zero sense. This was an absolute train wreck of a film. Now, that being said, I loved it. I had a lot of fun with it. Oh yeah, watch it. Definitely watch it again. (laughs) I enjoyed it a lot. Had I seen this as a kid, I would have watched it a lot. I w- it was fun. It was super fun. It's just as a uh, as somebody who was able to write a film, I look at this and go, what was anybody thinking? No. It's just so inconsistent. It doesn't make any sense. It jumps around like crazy. And everybody knew it as it was being filmed. Of course. How could you not? Yeah. Mel Brooks, even at one point in the middle of it, thought that they it was just lost like there was no way to even salvage what he was seeing but they still put it out (laughs) and and here we are with solar babies which i'm so glad it came out because i really liked it (laughs) wow Uh, well that's my thought what are your what's your final thought on solar babies well i think you know when you don't have to give it a really critical review uh you know as a contemporary it's easy to just go boy that's a mess it's i would say inspiration if you're out there somewhere in the world and you're thinking i can't write a script i don't know what i'm doing doesn't matter just write it because yeah. solar babies can get made your dream can get made whatever it is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting is the case of solar babies is an example where it actually was cast well everybody did a really good job with acting i mean it's cheesy acting but look what the material they were given yeah. and the the production of it, like the sets and everything look awesome. The costumes look great. Like it's all there. And I bet before there probably was a cool story. Yeah, it just got away. It just completely ran off the rails, yeah. crashed through the wall. And they found a bow tie of their own that led them to a magical dance that meant uh, losing a ton of money. But Solar Babies happened and, <laughs> and we're glad it did. So... That's what we have for you this week. You're welcome. If you haven't seen it, watch it. It is really goofy and fun. Absolutely. And maybe maybe you just are going to go practice working on the whip with your friends. Yeah, maybe. Jump a bridge. No, don't don't really. Yeah, don't. Yeah, that was like a giant canyon that they took a risk over. Probably don't do that. Well, that's our episode. Yeah, that's there what you, you get. <laughs> <laughs> We're hot. <laughs> Yeah, we had to turn off the fans in this room to record this. And we're clearly rushing right now. It's a hundred. It's done. That's all you get degrees. from us for right now. You can't complain. If you like what you heard, though, <laughs> you can go to lasergraves.com, listen to all our back episodes, or you can just listen wherever you get your podcasts. It's everywhere. If you really like us, join our Patreon. We do a bunch of fun stuff. We just did another time travel episode of Tank Girl. We've got another one coming out. Oh, we've got a new Contemporary Casuals that we've got planned. Yep. That one's going to be really fun. So that stuff's coming out, too. That's at patreon.com slash lasergraves. And otherwise, you can follow us on Instagram at lasergraves. And we will see you in two weeks for something else. Also, if you're in this heat wave also, I would tell you, put your clothes in the freezer. It feels good for a solid three minutes. Okay, well, that was your suggestion. Mine would be, hit them fans, baby. Oh, goodbye. (laughs) 